Happy Friday, everyone. I hope that it has been a great week for all of you, too. It's been kind of a hectic week for me. Uh, a lot of changes with work and a lot of other stuff, too, but very, very exciting. <laughs> but I am very glad that it's the weekend. And honestly, I'm going to take advantage to be able to do a little bit of prep work for my own businesses now, now that I'm not doing my nine to five anymore this weekend. So if you want to work on your own business as well or your side hustle, whatever it is, then this episode comes at the perfect time because it's another year one episode. And this time it is with the CEO of Kizik Shoes. They are the hands-free shoes that you may have seen marketed either online or even in airports like I saw last week on my way home from Florida. So very, very good company, great shoes, successful marketing, successful business. And Monty, the CEO, sat down with me to be able to share what exactly he would do if he were restarting Kizik from the beginning, from idea to launch, to finding new customers, to retaining all the old customers, so hopefully this episode gives you a lot of great actionable advice and it just gets your mind thinking on what you can do to be able to find a great launch for your business too. So without further ado, here's this week's episode of Year One. Someone says, I love these shoes. They work just like the website says they will. And then the next comment is, I'm going to get a pair for my dad who's aging, or I'm going to get a pair for my sister who's pregnant or little brother who's disabled. I, I mean, first of all, you got to love that, that people see the, the benefit and they immediately think of someone else. It's good for business, but it's also good for the heart. My name is Kyle, and you are listening to a special episode of Freedom to Fail that I call Year One. These entrepreneurs are kind enough to share exactly what they would do if they were starting their business today with the knowledge they have learned along the way. This includes specific actions of everything from testing and launching your product to marketing it and having customers come back for more. I want to pull back the curtains on how a successful business is started so that you can do it too, regardless of your personal background or current finances. Because if owning a successful business is your dream, like it is for me, then I want to give you all the tools necessary to make it happen. So let's get started. Now I'm excited to jump more into the practical side of things and talk a little bit about what I call the year one section. So Basically, it's what you would do if you were to restart the business from scratch with all the lessons that you've learned. Because this podcast is meant to be inspirational and be able to learn a lot, but I also want it to be really practical. And so that's why I started doing this this next section so that people who are listening who may or may not be in a similar industry, but they can at least see where to go and like what steps to take and stuff from it. Because that was my issue with a lot of things is there was just so much information out there as far as what I needed to do to start a business that it laid, led to information paralysis where I just had no idea where to begin. So the first section would be kind of the the pre-launch section. So coming up with like the idea and like protecting it. Uh, that's actually one of the things that I wanted to touch on here too, is just like making sure you protect your product. Like if it's something that you can patent and stuff like that. So for you, based on your experience as a lawyer and dealing with this, what would you say would be some of the best things that you would do if you were restarting this, this Kizik from scratch as far as designing the product and then like protecting it and making sure you guys are all secure and, and taken care of there? Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good question. The, you know, it's hard. These are all ideas, but 
without resources, it can be challenging, right? Yeah. And, and, and by definition, if you're in day one, you probably don't have any resources. Exactly. So I don't know. Looking back, it's completely a fiction because I didn't start Kizik. Yeah. And, but, but, uh, I was happy to go through the mental exercise that, that you asked me to. I think maybe the first thing I would work on, assuming I had the idea yeah. of a uh, hands-free shoe as is, uh, I probably would work a little bit more on product to market fit. Uh, and you can, you can see it in the history of, of Kizik that, you know, if, if we could have learned a little bit earlier that, um, an athleisure shoe at a lower price point was going to work better than, than another type of shoe, it would have been, it would have been nice to know that. And how do you get there? Exactly. How would I get there? I was going to ask. Yeah. Gosh, I think, uh, We've all read a lot about minimally viable product. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have to ask a lot of questions. I wish I had a, I'm, I'm the worst artist <laughs> in the world, but I would get help, uh, drawing and illustrating as, as many different styles of shoes as I could. You know, I don't, I think, for example, I think you could draw 10 pictures of 10 pair of shoes and have one prototype that works. And sit down in front of 10 different people and say, okay, you're going to have to use your imagination uh-huh. here, but this is a shoe and it's going to work like this. And these are the 10 possibilities of, of how it could look. And which of these shoes would you like to see hands-free first? Now that's, you know, again, making it up after the fact, but I think a product, you know, and, and I would add the question, what would you pay for it? How much extra would you pay to have a, a pair of, shoes hands-free. How much do you pay for a pair of shoes like this? And mm-hmm. I would show them one and then say, how much more would you pay to have it be hands-free? And then I would show them the prototype and try to get it into their mind, uh, the marriage of the technology and the design and find out as much as I could early on about product to market fit. fit. Uh, and I think that was uh, something that took us a while and cost us some money. <laughs> so definitely market research is huge. I mean, I've had past guests on here who also have consumer product goods and everything. And that is the exact same thing that they all say is talk to your potential customers. And that's one thing that I've just talking to other people out there. I've learned this and I've seen this. There are some potential entrepreneurs out there who are afraid about talking about their product if they think it's something new because they're afraid of being knocked off or afraid of having someone steal it. But the thing is, and We'll, we'll get into it a little bit more about like how do you protect your idea at once you get to that point. But in the idea stage, nobody else really cares as much about your idea as you do. And so for them, if, even if they like the idea, they're going to have to start from scratch way behind where you are. And so the amount of times, yeah, it happens, unfortunately, here and there where somebody hears an idea and then they steal it and it's just this whole thing. But more often than not, People are going to say, wow, that's a great idea. I wish I would have come up with it and then not do anything about it. And so we're so worried about protecting something that doesn't even exist yet that we don't get the, the right market research and we don't get the right feedback that we need. That sometimes, inevitably, because we lack that those resources, it makes us launch and have a product that is not exactly what the customers want at all. And then we have to start from scratch again and ask the customers and just recreate the entire product. So that, that's just a long, a long little side note of it. Just don't be afraid about people stealing your product at the first when you're getting feedback from it because 
they're going to have to do just as much work, if not more, to get to it. And they don't have the passion that you do. So anyway, that was my little spiel about it. I think you're right. From a legal standpoint, I would say, you know, early on resources may not allow filing of a patent or many patents. Yeah. And so a non-disclosure agreement works, uh, but I think you're right. If you're just asking someone about a concept and they're not, you know, if you're showing them a shoe and they don't run a shoe company and they're not an engineer, then you can get feedback. Exactly. And, and, and if you are worried, you know, don't show the product without a a one page non-disclosure agreement. and, And there you go. Now, do those really stick up? Like, do those actually hold up pretty well as far as like an idea goes? Like if you have somebody, this has just been a question that I've had. Can you really do a non-disclosure based on like an idea type of thing? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's not fun to enforce an agreement like that and you might never do it. But uh, here I go putting my law hat on. No, exactly. You know, if I sit down with you and I say I'm going to share an idea with you, sign this agreement that says you um, won't share this idea with anyone else and you won't exploit it. um, I've done two things. One you've agreed to it and, and I could, you know, I could enforce it in a court, but I've also created a little bit of a, uh, anti-incentive for you to, yeah. I mean, you thought you think, well, I signed something that said I won't. Most people who sign something that says they won't don't. Yeah. So again, uh, I think your first point is true. Nobody cares as much about a hands-free shoe as someone who's building <laughs> a hands-free shoe. And if you're worried about it, get, uh, cool. get a non-disclosure agreement yeah. in place. That is awesome. And then as far as protecting your invention or your product, when would you go, when would you start working on doing like the patent stuff? And then also how do you go about doing that to protect an idea? Yeah. Uh, As soon as you can afford it. Okay. And how much does it usually run to like apply for a patent and stuff? You know what? I'm not a patent attorney. So I know for a few hundred dollars you can file yourself for a patent, mm-hmm. but you know I don't know if it's going to be worth a lick if if, if you don't know how to do it. <laughs> I I would say, uh, you know, you can do some research on how to get a pile uh, 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 tongue tied, how to get a patent filed inexpensively. Um, if I were a, a new entrepreneur, I would be at a law school. Uh, you know, talking to a patent uh, law a professor saying, hey, do you have any service here that helps out young entrepreneurs like huh. in, or new entrepreneurs like me? Um, I would be asking around the local bar association to find out the, the, if there are uh, ways to get a patent filed less expensively. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. See, this is why it's nice having you in here because you've got the business background, but also the, the law background as well that you definitely need to be able to protect yourself when, once you start going. So I want to talk a little bit about pricing because I think pricing is a huge thing. And one of the big issues that I've seen both myself and with just other companies is a lot of times when we start out, we don't price, we don't charge as much as we can or as we should and we need to to survive. And on the other end of things too, sometimes I've seen people that charge way more than a customer is willing to be able to pay for that same type of product because it's a delicate balance because you want to make it affordable to the customer, but you also need to be able to cover all of your costs, not only now when you get started, because when you get started, technically, I mean, more or less from my experience, what I've seen is that when you get started, you have a lot less overhead. And so your margins are usually higher. 
And then once you start growing, your margins shrink a little bit because you have to bring on more staff and do all these types of things. So how would you go about determining like a price point for say for Kizik if you were to restart again? Yeah, that's a, that's a good, I would, I would say I would, I would approach it this way. Um, I've learned this when you ask a consumer how much she or he would pay, they're always going to say, particularly if it's on a survey mm-hmm. and you're not looking them in the eye and, and trying to uh, manipulate the, the answer, they're always going to say a price that is somewhere around 10 to 20% lower than a looking uh, interested consumer would pay. Hmm. So, you know, we've done some surveying and when, when a customer says, man, we really like this shoe, really like this technology, I'd pay $80 for this shoe. What do we, what do we know? We think, well, someone's looking for a hands-free shoe, an easy on shoe. You know, it's not a typical consumer that you walk up to and tap on the shoulder and say, what do you think about this? Yeah. It's someone who's looking. So they're going to pay more. So we, we knew we could charge uh, $99 for, for an entry level cool. hands-free shoe. Now, how do you cover the, uh, I guess as far as like shoe goes, uh, like the shoe industry goes, what kind of margins are you looking to, to keep so that you can make sure that it's sustainable and not just purely based on what the customer is willing to pay? Because if the customer is only willing to pay $99, but your shoe costs $60 to make, then it's not worth it. So how do you balance yeah, that so out? So it's, it's all, it's all strategy because you, you talked earlier about someone who's building a brand and they decide I'm going to build lots of margin in this mm-hmm. and be willing to sell fewer. Our goal at Kizik has been to make our product accessible so that as many people can try our technology, talk about it as possible. So, I, I, you know, when you look it, the, the data is all over the place and it really depends on the product, but in the, in the footwear industry, you know, you want to be, you want to be, you want to have a profit margin of, uh, of somewhere well north of 50% so okay. that, so that you, you know, that's all in yeah. getting the shoe made, getting it, uh, uh, on the water Just landed, landed costs, yeah. landed costs. Then, then you got to ship it, you know, at least our, our, our model is we ship it and we, if, if it doesn't fit, we pay for the return shipping. Mm-hmm. So we have to build all those costs in. And if we can, on average, be uh, well above 50%, then it's a good start. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that's perfect. And then, so that's all the kind of pre-launch stuff. Say you got your idea, you've got it all set, you figured out exactly how much customers are willing to pay, how much it's going to cost you, all that kind of stuff. Now you're ready to launch it and you're ready to sell. But it doesn't matter how good your product is if nobody knows about it. So how would you approach uh, a launch again? If you were to relaunch Kizik, what would be some things that you would do to get the word out and to educate the consumer if you don't have very much money for like millions of dollars in ad spend or anything like that? Well, I, I've learned from, from our team led by Alex MacArthur that you know you start with what you have and you nurse it up as you go. And... And, you know, you, you need a little bit of capital to get rolling. And, you know, I, I, it's, hard to, it's hard to argue with the approach uh, that this marketing team has followed in that they demonstrated, educated on, through a con- through little bit of user-generated content, a lot of uh, internal content, 
you know, let's show how this works. Let's get people talking about it. Let's get, I think maybe one thing we would do a little bit different is we would probably get shoes on influencers a little bit earlier. Okay. Because it's, you know, particularly it's, it's just put great fuel on our fire. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think, um, uh, a Kickstarter or other crowdsourcing ideas are, are good for demonstrable consumer goods technologies as well. Uh, so, I, I mean, those are those are a, a few ideas. You, you have to kick and scratch, and and eventually you have to get more people looking at, <laughs> at what you're selling than you are paying, and and you have to get a return on your ad spend. Totally. So obviously, like when you launch, you're going to have a little bit of buzz because you're new and you will be able to get a little bit of publicity there. But a lot of times businesses have that initial buzz kind of taper off after a first few months and then they have to go back down, kind of stabilize again before they can grow again. So after the initial buzz wears off, what would be your strategy? Would you guys stick purely like mainly with kind of paid marketing uh, channels or how would you guys really accelerate that growth? Yeah, we've done it differently than, than just traditional paid search. Again, when you have a new product, you can't count on, you can't count on search terms working very well. Yeah. What are you going to look for? What are you going to search for? And you, you can find, you know, we, we find search terms that work for us. Um, but I certainly like our team's plan of, of putting quick flash thumb stopper out there in front, you know, video content that, mm-hmm. that stops thumbs because you've never seen a shoe, a, a foot go into a shoe hands free. It's a, it's an idea that, that worked well cool. for us. Yeah. And I, I think it's like what you said. Um, you just find what works and then you keep going with that. And that's the, something that is super important for all entrepreneurs out there is you have to constantly tinker and just reevaluate things. Now, obviously, I mean, every once in a while, you'll find somebody who is super successful right from the get-go, but that's one in a million, one in a billion from there. And so most people, uh, what basically everyone's going to have to do is try one strategy, take notes about that. And that's something that I'm a big believer in is just like record everything so that you can go back and reevaluate. Because otherwise, if you don't learn from what you're doing and it doesn't work well, then you're bound to repeat those same mistakes there. Yeah, and, and, and you, ha- you do. You have to try. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like I'm, I, I'm advocating one idea. No, you, totally. You, you, have to, you have to try mm-hmm. a thousand things, and you have to be smart about it. You know, one thing we've done on the, uh, as our brand is built is, is we'll find brands that want to collaborate a little bit with us and do a joint giveaway, travel company, uh, you know, a product that goes well with ours. Yeah. You know, people are willing to help. They're willing to try things. So um, it's it's been nice to get help from others as well. Cool. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that's actually one thing that I have seen from like just a few other smaller local companies too. When they do those team giveaways where multiple companies combine. And yeah, I've seen a lot of those that aren't done successfully because it's basically anyone who's willing to puts in some product and the products don't mesh at all. And so it's like you get some smorgasbord of just potential customers who are applying for one thing, but they don't care. But if you like plan it all together and say, Hey, this is going to be a travel pack, uh, travel pack giveaway. We're going to have this travel company do something. We're going to have a hotel company do this. We're going to have these walking shoes that are amazing for while you're in the city, you can use that. And you just have products that actually are very complimentary. That's what I've found gets the biggest buzz because people 
like you want to find where people are passionate. And if it's just like a random combination of products, you're not going to find any middle ground. But if you have all these products that are surrounding one main theme there, that's where you're going to find that those passionate fan groups that are just so obsessed with doing anything they can to win those giveaways. And then they're also going to learn about your customer or about your product and about everything that you're going to do. So even if they lose, they already know that, hey, I'm a travel guy. And so I need shoes that are comfortable for walking long distances, for all these things. These shoes look really cool. They're very unique. Even though I didn't win, I'm still going to follow them and I might be a buyer in the future there. So yeah, I like that strategy a lot. And then moving on after the first, say, six months there, I kind of, I want to focus on how do you retain customers and how do you get customers coming back for more? Because getting that first sale for the customer is important, but everyone knows that repeat customers are so much cheaper than trying to educate a new, a brand new customer in the future as well and bringing them in. So what would you do to be able to keep past customers coming back for more and also use those same customers to drive word of mouth referrals? Yeah. You know, I, I think one advantage we have with Kizik is that we have a lot of use cases. One of my favorite things about Kizik shoes is we see it all the time in our reviews. You try a shoe and Someone says, I love these shoes. They work just like the website says they will. And then the next comment is, I'm going to get a pair for my dad who's aging, mm. or I'm going to get a pair for my sister who's pregnant, or you know, for my little brother who's disabled. I, I mean, first of all, you got to love that, yeah. that people see the, the benefit and they immediately think of someone else. It's good for business, but it's also good for the heart. Yeah, totally. And, and so we, we, we love that. But you can also show your customers other use cases. And that's sort of what we do. If someone tries our shoes and then sees uh, a post or uh, a little bit of content that shows our shoes used in a different way, a different way for them, maybe an outdoor use, maybe a different way for a child, a different way for a parent, uh, you know, that's, that seems to be part of the reason that we're having great success with, uh, repeat purchases is we just show our, uh, our customers different ways that our shoes can be used and different people that they're good for. So do you guys use any like follow-up marketing or retargeting techniques with like emails and stuff to then try and get past customers back that way? Or is your focus mainly on social media and using those platforms? You know, our email list is gold, gold, yeah. gold. And so, you know, our, cu- our customers are good. They love us and, and they like a new colorway. <laughs> they, they love a new style. Um, they've been asking us for kids shoes. You know, there's no question. We, we love it when our, our customers buy again. So we're, we're very focused on that. Is there, would you say that your email list is probably, would you say that that's the biggest way that you get uh, past customers coming back to you? Like, is that, I guess, is that how you focus on them the most? It is, it is very much a focus. Okay. It is cool. very much a focus. And I mean, that's something that everyone should do too, because paid marketing, all these other platforms like Facebook, Instagram ads, everything that is not anything that you personally own. Like Instagram could go away in a second and then you'd be screwed if that is where your entire company focus is. So 
email ads or not email ads, but just email lists and being able to, to compile all of that with people who know about you, that is something that you now own that you can reach out to in the future without being dependent on any of these other corporations or anything and worrying about if something like, I mean, there have been multiple times, luckily it hasn't been very often, but there have been handful of times where Instagram goes down for like a day or two and some businesses, that's the only thing they use. And so they're just completely shot. But if you have other strategies and other things that you own, like an email list, then that makes it just so that you can weather those storms a lot more. And again, it comes into diversifying things. Like if you can find ways to have a, a, a diverse mix of entry points for your customers to come and find you, then if one of those goes down, it doesn't affect you because you have all these other things coming out too. So, yeah. We use a service called Clavio that okay. helps with our, with our email and, and it's also wise to use analytics to make sure you're not sending out too many emails. It, you know, you can know whether your customers are giving you permission to send email because if they're unsubscribing, you slow down. Yeah. And uh, if they're buying you, you, you just you, you still stay moderate and reasonable. Cool. Uh, this has honestly been super awesome, super helpful and insightful for me. And obviously for the people out there, I'm sure you guys are going to learn a ton from this. The last thing that I have, the last question is, what would you say are three skills that you think a new entrepreneur should focus on learning and developing? Oh, my goodness. You know, I think, one, self-care. Okay. And that can mean different things for different people. But, but I, I would say if you're going to dive into entrepreneurship, you ought to say, I'm going to take care of myself. And I, this is, the second one's a little bit different, but I would also build resilient skills and, and read about, talk about, learn, learn how to, you know, be resilient because there are going to be failures and it's, it's really helpful to learn skills to be able to think differently and know, for example, the misery that I'm in right now, the suffering that I'm having right now is, is going to change. Things are going to get better. They're going to, they're going to change. It's good to learn that. Um, those are both soft skills, hard skills. Gosh, I've given two. One more skill that an entrepreneur should develop. Oh, gosh. I, I would say start reading, keep reading. Because I, I know that's also soft. No, I mean, I think that works, though, because all of these hard skills that you eventually have to learn how to do, like managing your numbers or being a leader, uh, hiring, like you were mentioning that book there, those are all things that you can learn through books and books like people, the experts of those areas are writing and doing all of this research, putting it in this well thought out and concise book. And then it's just up to us to be able to actually consume that. I would also connect with as many individuals. There are many individuals in our market in, in Utah. So looking slopes, there are people out there that are willing to help. They're willing to talk. They're willing to have conversations I would, I would pick the brains of, of 100 people. Yes, I um, love that. And, and they're willing. Cool. Yeah, this has honestly been awesome. I was going to say, too, when you were talking about just building resilience skills, that's not an answer that I've ever heard on this podcast, but I think that is super crucial because you have to be willing to become okay with failure. Like you said, once you when you got here, you realized that you weren't as afraid of failure as you thought you might be. And I feel like that's the case for everyone. The fear of that fear of failure is bigger than what it actually is in real life. And so one thing that I would add is there was this TED Talk 
I don't even remember what his name is, but it's called the year of no. And it's basically this guy does something where he's guaranteed to get turned down basically every single day for an entire year so that he could build up those resilient skills. Interesting. It's a very interesting Ted talk. It was super insightful and I definitely learned a lot. So you guys should go and check that out and I'll put a link on there as well so that you guys can find it. But that was one of my favorites that I've seen. So thank you for your time. It has been awesome today. And honestly, can't wait to be able to get this out to our listeners so that they can find out more about you guys and just be able to share with your vision of the future of making life easier one step at a time for everyone. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate the time today. And go take a look at us at kizik.com. Learn about hands-free shoes. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Freedom to Fail. I know that you guys have a lot of other things that you can do. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen. So hopefully you guys were able to learn a lot that can apply to your businesses, but also hopefully help out those around you as well. So if you know of anybody who may enjoy this podcast or be able to learn a lot from it that may help them, then I would really appreciate it if you shared it with them so that they can find it and be able to find a lot more actionable advice so that they can have success in their businesses. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then I would love it if you shared it on Instagram. Uh, you can tag me at Freedom to Fail Podcasts, and I would really appreciate that as well. So thank you again for spending your Friday or whenever you're listening to this with me. And remember to put yourself first. So now that it's the weekend, make sure to go find some time to build your own dreams. And until next week, keep failing your way towards achieving your dreams.